Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. All right. Sorry, guys, uh, for those who were expecting a live podcast and an actual podcast Wednesday. Uh, I lost my voice. I got laryngitis. Went to the doctor. They told me to rest for somewhere between seven to t- 10 days. I told them absolutely uh, not. So I gave her I gave her Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I gave her four days. Right. We split the difference. Uh when you talk for a living, let's just really quickly say there's all kinds of bad thoughts that go through your head when you can't project. Like the, nothing's coming out. Just like it's a whisper. You think you're talking like this, and I can project pretty well. It was a whisper. <laughs> like people who have never uttered these words to me were uttering them all the time. What'd you say? Uh, what'd you say? What? Sorry, one more time. What'd you say? I said I'd like a hot tea. It's like I'd like a hot tea. It's a very 900. I actually got a text the next day because I do these beat the books things uh, on all of our Odyssey stations. And it's like, you know, whatever. Like it's some betting trend. And the, and I, I did it on Tuesday before the show, before they kicked me out. And, <laughs> uh, and, and I could tell it was like very 900. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan, my co-host, was like, I, it sounds... So I'm getting kind of turned on right now. I get a text the next day from the PD from WFAN and he was like, Hey, Trista, this is a long story short. He's like, Hey, um, something was weird with that beat the books today. Uh, what was happening? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And I laughed and I was like, I, uh, I had laryngitis. I had to get sent home. He goes, honestly, I, I didn't think much of it. I knew it was weird. And then another PD reached out to me and was like, what's going on with Trista? Is she trying out sexy now? He's like, Nothing I love more than a good run line trend. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's all that to say I'm sorry. All that to say I'm sorry. Uh, before we talk about the Warriors, as we suspected, coming back to life in Boston, which is what they did, as we knew that they would because it's Warriors in seven, uh, let's get into a little news. After James Borrego was inexplicably fired, everything okay? After James Brego was inexplicably fired with his team consistently improving year after year after year, despite nobody liking to play defense, i.e. Kelly Oubre, former Nets head coach, current Warriors assistant, Kenny Atkinson, known for his player development uh, acumen, has currently accepted score according to Shams. Pew! This is the bomb. This is the sound of the Shams bomb. Anyway, he is now Charlotte Hornets head coach. He signed a four-year deal, which shows you that Michael Jordan actually trusts him uh, or has so much money that if he fires him, he doesn't care about having two coaches on payroll for two years. Because let's be honest, if Kenny Atkinson does get fired from a Charlotte Lawrence, probably not going to be until year three or four when players tune him out like they do Tom Thibodeau. But I actually love this hire. Takes over one of the most exciting teams in the NBA. You've got 10 players on this roster under 26 years old. They have a 13th pick in this year's draft, which is fuck my fucking pick. Blazers pick. Pretty far cry from rehabbing the careers of Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, D'Angelo Russell, which he actually did by changing the culture of the Nets. He turned Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris after being out of the league altogether to getting paid. Jared Allen got paid. People forget, by the way, that Tatum and Brown were actually Nets draft picks. That's a little fun fact, yeah, because of the the Boston trade that they did to send Paul Pierce and KG, mm-hmm. Theron Williams, all that little scrub trade that they did. And he credited, he's also credited with developing Jared Allen into what we now know as one of the best big men in the league, right? So this is what uh, Greg Popovich had to say about Kenny Atkinson when he was turning things around 
uh, with the Nets because I went and found some old quotes about how he changed the culture there, was changing players, getting them to buy in. He said the system is in there. Kenny set the standards and makes people accountable. They slowly but surely built the culture and all the things that have come from that are starting to show. So I'm happy for all of them. They've done a great job. Uh, and he did. Since, since resigning in 2020, because he was fired, KD fired him. He did. <laughs> uh, he's been on the bench in L.A. with Ty Lue, and now he got hired to be the de development person on the Warriors, which is what, quite frankly, the Warriors were missing last year. And now you're getting you know, Jordan Poole to take a step, Andrew Wiggins to take a step, and, and both teams really vastly improved while he was there. Steve Kerr said this about Kenny. It's still coming back, folks. Laryngitis is still coming back. One of the reasons I hired Kenny was his feel for analytics. Kenny's really well-versed on that stuff. He's a believer in it. This year has been the first time we've ever achieved the right balance, balance between analytics and the eye test. Either people are in the nerd camp or in the, in the fuck the nerd camp. Kenny is, is, the, is the like balance between them two. And now he's coaching a team that is young and exciting and can't play defense, right? That's basically what Brooklyn was, young and exciting. Uh, not really that exciting at the time, but young and couldn't play defense. That was a team that he took over in Brooklyn. It was 29th in defens uh, defensive efficiency. He took wow. over and then like that, 13th in defensive deficiency in his final year, right? So... Not the, like the most, but listen, let's, the pieces in the, the Nets organization were amazing to get them in the top five of defensive efficiency. Let's be serious. Mm -hmm. And remember, this was done without any real player or roster changes, right? No stars. You could say that D'Angelo Russell at the time was a star, but let's look at him now. He's on the trade block. He's not a real like superstar, superstar. And Kenny Atkinson developed him in a way that D'Angelo Russell said really helped him. My prediction is Charlotte. Charlotte will be a playoff team next year. They were a play-in team this year. They were only three, four wins away from being a five, six seed. I think that my guess is that they win 48 games. Five, they, they get five extra games. They won 43 this year. They get 48. They're the five or the six seed next year. And two years from now, they get 50 wins. They're a top four seed. That's my, that's my guess. I think the Nets take a big step back, obviously. I think the Sixers can only go down from where they are. Bucks continue to reign supreme. I think Miami may take a step back and Boston continues to be on this trajectory as well. So my prediction is that they've got all the pieces, folks. If they can get any fucking thing out of Gordon Hayward, anything, anything, just anything, even if they trade him, don't care. Even if they get him to buy in on defense again, I don't care. But they've got Miles Bridges. They've got Lonzo, uh, Lonzo. They got LaMelo Ball. <laughs> Wish they had Lonzo and LaMelo. They've got really good, young Terry Rozier. They've got playmakers. They're exciting good wings, P.J. Washington trying his very might to make a living when he uh, knocked up Brittany Renner. So <laughs> lots of things happening for the Hornets. All that stuff is very successful. Maybe he can turn James Booknight into something. Who knows? Who knows? My prediction, though, is things get vastly improved in Charlotte. Oh, man, guys, let's move on. It was fun while it lasted. It would appear that the marriage of DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns is about to end. According to Mark Stein, what seems clear, he says, with less than three weeks to go until free agency commences, is that Phoenix is increasingly expected to engage in serious sign-and-trade talks centered around Ayton, with external skepticism only rising regarding the Suns' willingness to make a hefty long-term investment in the center. Let's be honest. DA, it's bad timing for you, dog. You've got an owner who's probably about to lose ownership. Yeah. And you're not putting out $250 million uh, right before you sell a team. Right. And I think that there's going to be, hiya, a guillotine <laughs> on our man, Robert Sarver. Things are going to come down the pike. The investigation's been going on for almost a year now. So listen, things are ruminating. Bubbling, we'll say. Obviously, uh, like a an announcement of him being forced Donald, Donald Sterling-like out mm. isn't going to happen in the NBA Finals. But I promise you, it's probably going to happen sometime soon. And it might be before free agency. It might be after free agency. It might be before the season. But I know it's happening. 
And I know that Robert Sarver is not going to want to pay DeAndre Ayton in the midst of all that. So now Stein believes Ayton is the most prominent player that will switch teams. Good news for me. Good news for my team. <laughs> His agent, Bill Duffy, who's also an awesome guy, went on NBA radio uh, just the other day and said this. Things will work out for DeAndre. He's a valuable player. And you know what? There's other teams in the league as well. This is true. true. 29 other teams. DeAndre Ayton is a restricted free agent, meaning that he must do a sign-in trade in order to make that move. Or possibly he can go into the last and final year and be a complete free agent, which Mark Stein does not think will happen. The chances are not great for him staying in Phoenix. I don't know what Chris Paul is going to do. This team is significantly worse without DeAndre Ayton. If you're a basketball fan, Mm -hmm. you know how many high screens DeAndre Ayton sets for Devin Booker and Chris Paul that turn into easy buckets. Either turn into pull-up J's or turn into rolls, lobs for DA or for whoever else on the wing, like a drive and kick scenario. Uh, So DA is a very, very underrated player in my opinion. And I think he's going to probably make more money going elsewhere if he stays one additional year and does a sign and trade, but I don't think he's going to leave eight figures on the table and maybe risk an injury. So the latest is that the Suns are now taking inquiries. Yes. On a sign and trade for Deandre, where will he end up? It's a good question. San Antonio is on the table. That'd be an awesome spot for him. Can you imagine this motherfucker? Jay Craig Popovich, you get, Come on. It's an embarrassment of riches. We'll give you Jakob Pertle. No, <laughs> we'll give you. So you have David Robinson, and then you get Tim Duncan. Do you know what he would do with DA? Stop it. Stop it. Please. Uh, Toronto is another landing spot that people are talking about, which would be excellent for what they do. DeAndre Ayton can switch on defense, very athletic, put the ball in his hand. He'd be a perfect fit there. What they would get for him, maybe like an OG Ananobi, maybe a young piece would be nice. Little move, move, little win, win. Portland potentially get, will give you, like I said, will give you Nurkic and Anthony Simons. How about that? What about Drew Eubanks as a backup center? We'll give you Nurk, Drew Eubanks, and Anthony Simons. Listen, Anthony Simons will play the one when Chris Paul retires. He'll come off the bench, and you can give us back campaign and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Detroit and Atlanta are also the leading landing spots. But for me, I've got one destination in mind that I think DeAndre Ayton would be perfect for. Chicago Bulls. I think that would be an awesome spot for him. They need defense. They need somebody to stop the gaping hole that is Nikola Vucevic because he doesn't play defense. You could pair him with Patrick Williams, kind of like a a nice little balance between what they both bring to the table. And especially if Zach Levine goes somewhere else, which like if you're going to pay either Zach Levine or DeAndre Ayton, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. Does Zach Levine fit with Devin Booker? Probably not. I don't think so, but you could do like a three-team trade, get something back. Mm. Uh, and I actually think the bull swapping Zach for DeAndre is probably a huge upgrade. Huge, huge upgrade because, let's be honest, their issue is is defense. Healthy Crusoe, you got Lonzo Ball, you got Aiton. <sighs> Come on now. Like, this becomes a really good defensive team overnight. Then you got DeMar DeRozan, too. DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo, if he ever comes back. Caruso, Patrick Williams, DeAndre Ayton. Like, this was a six seed now. What do they become next year? I don't know. Maybe a five, maybe a four, or just maybe a six seed that actually ends up competing in the first round instead of just getting absolutely mollywopped in the first round. And, of course, as you guys know, I would love to see him with, with Dame Lillard. I would love to see him setting high picks for Dame Lillard. Yes. And maybe if we could keep Anthony Simons, I'm in on that. Or maybe we get DeAndre Ayton and maybe another piece. I don't know. We'll have to see. Have to see how it all shakes out, baby. Maybe we'll get AJ. Maybe we'll get AJ Griffin and DeAndre Ayton, and we'll have Josh Hart still. Who knows? The list of possibilities for us is endless. Endless, I tell you. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. 
available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Oh, man. How insane has Jeff been? He has been insane. 34 and a half. There's one on video, are we? Is John here? John's here. John, what's up, John? Where are Yo, you? Yo, what's up? I'm at, I'm at Chase Center right now, live, ready to You're roll. You're live at Chase? Yo, how insane is Steph right now? Incredible. I mean, it's it's all-time legendary type stuff here. This is, this is MJ or Magic or Bird all in real time. LeBron, you want to throw him in? Any of the greats of the greats, he's putting good. his name right up there. Thank you. Good, by the way, you look really good. Um, I was just about, cause I didn't know when you were going to come on. So I was just about to say that I think that we as fans are benefiting from Steph not having as many pieces around, right? You've got clay, but clay's not a hundred percent the clay that we're used to seeing, right? You've got no KD. So it's a different team than Steph's ever had before to the point where, especially considering, I think that he's playing a better team overall than he's ever played in the finals before so he has to put the team on his back which kind of makes it a lot better for fans because we get to see what Steph is capable of in ways that we maybe never really got the pleasure of seeing because he's such a good playmaker yeah and the Celtics taking the Warriors offense away is a big part of that as well I mean it's the Warriors want to have the open flow ball movement but it's had to be because their defense is so elite it's had to really be Steph versus the world in a lot of ways for, for the Warriors to win in this series. And that's what it was in game four. And he saved him. He did enough to save them. I think, you know, Andrew Wiggins kind of being up and down and Clay Thompson not really being around aside from a few big shots in a, in a couple of these games and Jordan Poole non-existent. All of that. Equates- that's a hot take. Non-ex- non-existent. Yeah, I think he's been non-existent in, for a good bulk of the series. Third yeah. quarter really the end of the third quarter of game two, and, and he played a pretty good game in game four. I'm, I, I would say up until game four, non-existent. Yeah. They, they got enough from the others in the game Friday, but still, they don't win it if Steph doesn't go all-time legend and, and put 43 up and just with phenomenal shot making. And, I mean, any one or two of those shots rim out or a little bit short. I mean, we may be talking about the Celtics trying to trying to close this thing out tonight in San Francisco. Uh, now that you came on early, I just want to give you a little intro, uh, welcoming to the show my guy, John Dickinson, who hosts the pre- and post-game Warriors show on uh, Odyssey Station, 95.7 The Game, uh, radio, radio home of Golden State. Uh, he also hosts the Warriors This Week podcast. Um, do you remember how we met? Yeah, we, we met in Toronto, right? Or was, or was it, did we meet in Toronto? It might have been Toronto. It was during that series. It might have been in San Francisco at the charity game. Was it at the charity basketball game? It might have been the charity basketball game. So to give people a little context, that was um, hosted by Chris Haynes and Yahoo at the time. I think we ended up, speaking of Steph, I think it was at Steph's gym. Yeah. Under Armour gym outside of SF. And uh, John Dickinson does what John Dickinson does so well, which is man of many traits. Played, played some hoop in the charity game, media game, and also was the broadcaster on it. Um, and I believe you did a post-game interview with me because I was the yes. player that of note. I don't even know why they gave that to me. I think I took a really hard Ethan Strauss check. He knocked my ass to the ground. <laughs> on Like, I remember my chest caved in and everybody could hear it. The fa- You know, like the people who were related to the media members in the sure. bank. And they were like, "God damn, that looked like it hurt." <laughs> it, yeah, no, I, that that makes sense. I think you nailed it there. Yes, I interviewed you after that game, and yeah, you were a quote machine. I remember that. <laughs> I was like the I was like the guard version of Draymond Green before Draymond Green decided he wanted to go to the media. Yes, 
with the game of say Damon Stoudemire in his prime, <laughs> or Nick Van Exel. Without without the, I remember after that game being like, listen, I need to get my cardio up because it was rough. It was rough. Janie was playing in that game. Oh yeah. Janie. Who else? There was a couple of other women media members. You know what I, I want to segue to really fast is uh, I'm thinking about Draymond Green and his pod. I, did, like, do you know why that ended up getting started when it got started? And kind of like, what's your thoughts on him as an obvious star? Because he's been a quote machine his entire career, but also just him as like balancing the I have a pod and I'm also a player. At the same exact time. I think it's an opportunity to do something completely different that that nobody had really done before. To be a player that's in the mix, hopefully at the highest level. I, I think really if he had could have done it a couple of years ago when the Warriors were in two, three, four, five finals in a row and, and winning three of the five and all of that, I think he would have loved to have been doing it then. But I think it's really something unprecedented for a player that's on the highest stage to be able to be also one of the best talkers in in the league and then do both at the same time and be able to constantly address anything he wants to address whether it's his own game whether it's his team's game whether it's some of the chatter or the noise or social media he still does all the regular media sessions so i think everybody loves him for that and occasionally well all the time he'll use those media sessions to try and promote the podcast in, in any way possible but i think he just sees himself as a pioneer really somebody that's that's the first of many moving forward that are i think not only going to want to play and play at a high level but also be media members at the at the same time it's it's not something that's that's frowned upon like it used to be i mean cj mccollum's got his thing i mean igadala's doing his podcast i mean i think the next generation of player is going to be taken after draymond green in in that way and and wanting to to really be multi-platform but Draymond's in his own category I mean I think we're going to be talking about Draymond 30 years from now as oh wow he's been one of the greatest you know broadcasters analysts whatever you want to call it you got a question about basketball <laughs> you remember when he did me like that <laughs> oh yeah I do remember that I do remember that that's when I knew that man was was a cold-blooded killer, you know? I think that the thing, as we listen to a little, I think there's some Bay Area, Bay Area music in yeah, here. Yeah, they just cranked up the PA, so I had to just crank up my, uh, make sure I could hear you. Hopefully that's not drowning me out. Is it, we, we good on that? So. I think we're good. I think we're good. You know, the thing that I think is interesting is you, you think about media, or you think about players that are in the media or at least like, doing media stuff which is kd who's got 35 ventures and he lives on twitter so he knows how he's perceived and then you got draymond who i think with the podcast maybe because he's wanting to engage with his fan base and grow this pod there's a certain element he almost feels the same things that we feel where it's like we need to be on social media and we need to kind of see how things are working or whether they're not working. And maybe there's a possibility, I'd like to know kind of where whether you think this is true or not, is that maybe be, there's, a, there's a slight bit of him tapping a little too much in to the way and what people are saying about him, not just like quote unquote blue check media in print, but what fans are saying about his play when he talked about maybe, you know, being a little bit too much in his head. I think he just loves talking, period. I mean, I should he have admitted that? I mean, maybe not, but yeah. it, I, I think he just he just loves talking. I think you know, somebody asked him in between maybe game three and game four, like, do you ever get sick of it? And I, I think maybe Sam Amick of The Athletic wrote about it. It just, he doesn't get sick of it. He just, he loves always being on, to your point, I think he he loves the the platitudes and the analysis, but I also think he enjoys when things maybe aren't going as well, trying to address it or trying to call somebody out or, or trying to say, hey, you know what, this take is kind of BS. And and even though maybe something, it maybe where there's smoke, there's fire in in a small way, but it's not exactly the same way that things are are messed up and maybe the way that you think. And and here's why. Uh, I I think it's just raw and and real, which is what. Draymond is love him or hate him and in the Bay he's loved in, in Boston right now and in some other cities he's 
public enemy number one, and, and that's fine. I think he embraces all of it and, and enjoys it and, and really appreciates I think he appreciates the respect that comes with somebody you know that is always going to be gravitated towards. Do you think there's any correlation though between him tapping in to the to the public right now with a pod and maybe some of his play that's suffering cuz he said like what I'm hearing about myself has got me kind of thinking about things differently and overanalyzing myself. Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I think it's it always comes up when the Warriors lose or when he doesn't play well. Even here in the Bay, it always comes up. I mean, we, after game three, took call after call after call. Draymond's got to put the microphone down and put the, you know, set the podcast aside until the finals are over. And he's got to focus on, on basketball in this series and, and helping Steph and, and trying to figure out who he can defend and can he score more than two points. And so I think he's aware of it, but I also think he's such a defiant personality in general there's a part of him well he is extremely thoughtful and philosophical and analytical and all of that i think there's a part of him though that's defiant he's like forget this y'all are telling me that that i'm in my in my head you're you're telling me that i need to put the podcast down or put the microphone down i'm not doing that no chance because that's you're telling me to do it if you're telling me to do it then there's no way i'm doing it i've got an audience to give to serve it up for and I'm going to continue to serve it up for them. You know, it's interesting, too. In the NFL, this would never be allowed to happen. Like never. Even Taylor Lewan, offensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans. Soon as the season is on, he is not allowed to do his podcast. Mike Frabel, not allowed, like doesn't allow it. NFL frowns on it. Um, NBA, obviously embracing it. What does Steve Kerr think about it? He loves it. He has. Well, at least publicly. Yeah. He loves it. I mean, I, I don't know that he necessarily... I mean, Steve Kerr would never admit that he doesn't like it or isn't for it. He did jokingly. He said... I, he got asked a question about something Draymond said on the pod, and his answer within the last week was, well, I don't listen to the pod. So, and, and everybody got a good chuckle out of that. But he's always been the first one to say, hey, look, this is uncharted waters. It's new territory. Guys can do what they want. It, it's not previous bygone eras and and look i think i mean steve kerr's a pretty forward-thinking dude so he would be the last one i think that would frown upon something like that but i think he also knows that it doesn't do anybody any good if he frowned upon draymond green doing it considering that that he is still the dude that's the the heart and soul in many ways of, of this warriors franchise i mean steph is the system steph is the the best player Steph is the MVP, the the legend, whatever. But Draymond still, in many ways, is is the engine for the the Warriors' greatness. I mean, and and really, and it's Steph and it's Draymond and and it's Clay and and, and it's just the three personal. It's the three style of games, but it's the three personalities being so different. I think is a big part of why they've been able to last as long as they have, and even get back to the point where they're two games away from maybe winning another chip. It's just. The, their personalities fit and they don't offend. And it's the reason why there hasn't been all the drama between stars that exists, I think, in so many other places, which has broken up a lot of these would-be champions and, and maybe even teams that have been able to get the job done. You think, uh, I think he is. I think Draymond's a Hall of Famer. I think yeah. you can talk about uh, Dennis Rodman having more rebounds than, than Draymond, but Draymond being a better playmaker than Rodman, Draymond being more integral to the system than Rodman. Um, other people don't think that he is just based on his lack of offense um, and some of the other enforcers in the league that didn't get in. Uh, where do you think he falls in terms of that? I think he's in for sure. And if he adds another chip here in the next week, I mean, that that only furthers the, the argument for him. The defensive player of the year, the all-defensive first team, second team accolades are, are right up there. I mean, just really a, the consummate winner. And I'll give you another one. I mean, in basketball, it's it's not just the NBA, right? It's it's the, the he gets credit for the things that he did at Michigan State and, mm-hmm. and leading them to Final Fours and and winning a lot there and and being really a you know kind of the model college athlete in in many ways uh, for for his generation. So I think he's a borderline lock to get into the Hall of Fame. I think he's like first ballot because you think about what Steph did 
to change and transform the game. But think about what Draymond did to transform the game. Mm-hmm. Tweeners are now something that we're all looking like every team, every GM is looking for their Draymond Green, a point forward with an otherworldly a basketball IQ who can play make, but also, you know, knows how to get their star in rhythm. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, everybody's looking for Draymond. I know, you know, squad that's fond to your heart, the Portland Trail, Portland Trailblazers could have used a Draymond in the last eight years right maybe they had yeah. it would have a chip if they if they you know the rockets for all the years that they battled the warriors maybe if they had a guy like Draymond, they'd have a chip or or a couple uh at this point so i think i think that's a great point i mean two gold medals as well yep that and yeah add that to the list i mean i i know you may get some pushback from from some that say you know just you look at the stats and all of this and triple single and and some of that kind of stuff but i i to me he's he's a borderline lock and if if he's a four ring player with the medals with the college success i mean to me he's even there are people around here i don't know what your take is on this one and, and maybe we don't have to go too deep into it but i've always been kind of a no on igadala being a hall of famer but around here i think because he's so beloved I kind of mix it up with people on that one a little bit a lot of people say oh he did this this and this and the winning and and, you know, being kind of the dude that's ahead of the game. I and mean, where are you on Iguodala? I think I'm really borderline. Like, I need to go back to his time sure. with Denver and Philly to kind of – because it's – he's his, – the cliff – and I, I hate this for him. The cliff that Iggy dropped off of was very steep. You know, like, just physically. But then I, he won a finals MVP. Finals MVP. <laughs> physically, though, when he – when his body declined, it declined so fast. You know what I mean? Even in Miami, uh, it was just like didn't look right. right. And he was even struggling with it in the 2019 series against Toronto. And you could tell he had a bunch of uh, – it was like knee inflammation, which I think he's still dealing with now to this day. He's yeah. been on and off again with it. He was like really battling it. So it's hard to remember how much of a – because he was a very good peer scorer. Um, mm-hmm. And some would say that a key piece to the Warriors going from that Mark Jackson era to getting a chip, like he was that piece that was added that got them that chip. Needless to say, no Kyrie, no Kevin Love, but still with him, I think that helped a lot. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, I think he definitely helped enable them to heights that, that I think many didn't believe were going to be possible. And also the willingness to, come off the bench to allow Harrison Barnes to start is kind of part of that story too in that 2015 season. And then he winds up back in the starting lineup in the finals, wins the finals MVP after they fell down to one in that series and wound yep. up winning game four, game five and, and game six to, to take it four to two. How are people feeling about this series vibe wise? Like whether that's media, whether that's fans that you come in contact with, compared to other finals run because I know I've seen some 95-7 the game uh, like promo tweets of like Warriors fans are you panicked like is the sense of emotions different than any other that that they've faced before and why yeah I think as far as this series goes first of all I mean you got to deal with where we are now and it's two to two and I think huge sigh of relief from from the Warrior fan base that they were able to get Game Four in Boston and bring it back here two to two. So I I do feel like over the last twenty four to forty eight hours there is more of a sense of oh they got this now they they got this whether it's in six or in seven they got this. But I think the biggest thing that I've heard doing the post game shows every single night when we take calls and we go we go for three hours. Wow, that's that's loud. Uh, we go for three hours every night, mic check, uh, and, and we take calls. Is I didn't realize the Celtics were this good. We, get, we, we have had many calls wow. with people. Like, I didn't realize the Celtics were this good. I thought this was going to be a five-game series. And I think there is a, there is a, a threat level. That in is a, a West Coast. That is like we talk about regional biases. John, like we talk about New York East Coast bias. That is one of the most insane West Coast, like Bay Area, like 
locked I, into our shit that I've ever it, heard. It's a it's a warrior bias, I think, too. Yeah. It is a warrior's fan elitist bias. There's no doubt. And I, I do that about Memphis too? Because Memphis was given on the business. No, they were worried about Memphis. Memphis okay. was actually the one team even more than maybe Phoenix. And I don't you know the East didn't really come up a lot. I think that the thought was, well, Memphis is the toughest team among the fan base. Memphis was the toughest team because, you know, Warrior fans hate Chris Paul. So they thought, oh, Steph, he owns Chris Paul. If they play Phoenix, they're going to win that series. Maybe it goes six or seven, but they're going to they're going to win that series. Ultimately, something will happen. And yeah, something happened. They didn't even play him because they they couldn't get get by Dallas. But no, the fan base here was legitimately afraid of Memphis. And then when John Morant went down, it was like, oh, we got this. And then mysteriously the Grizzlies were I mean it wasn't a surprise but they were much better defensively without John Morant and actually hung in that series to the point where it kind of left you thinking maybe if John Morant played that whole series and Memphis had figured some things out they could have still won that series or at least maybe forced a game seven so Memphis had the fear maybe more than any team and and their head-to-head matchups not to get too wonky on you but they really would would physically kind of manhandle the Warriors and and they knocked him out last year in the play-in. So, no, there was there was some worry there. But I think as far as everybody else goes, the Warrior fan base is so used to a position of advantage. They're so used to it always up 2 nothing, always up 3-1, going for the gentleman's sweep, never truly in a position of feeling vulnerable in series to where I think – the Celtics stunning them in game one the way that they did really put everybody, you know, kind of hiding behind the couch for, for a couple of days until the Warriors answered back. And then, oh, wait, it was almost, oh, they've got this now. They're going to Boston. They've figured it out. And the one thing I kept saying in between was, well, game three is going to tell you who's figured out what and whether game two was the outlier, whether game one maybe was the outlier. And then the Celtics win game three. And from that point on, it's really been, oh, I didn't realize the Celtics were this good. Respect. Like, maybe this is going to be a seven-game series. Because even after Friday, I'll give you the pulse of Friday night. Friday night in Boston, Steph with this Jordan-esque performance in TD Garden. And, you know, fans will get loose a little bit and and, and say whatever they're going to say. And then it'll be, oh, all right, all right, thanks. Warriors in six or Warriors in, you know, all fans do that. It was all Warriors in seven. It was all Warriors. It wasn't Warriors in six. It was Warriors at seven. So they were feeling good and great that it was 2-2, but it wasn't like, oh, we're just rolling the next two. It was like, oh, no, we'll win one. They'll win one. Maybe we'll win another one. The, the, the Celtics have the Warrior fan base respect. I'll put it that way. How do you, we talked about this, what was it, maybe they, maybe Thursday. It was after the loss in uh, game three. And we talked about just like how if they win the chip, Warriors, if the Warriors win the chip, how like that may not be the best for the franchise in the long term, right? And I thought you made some really interesting points about uh, that, and I wanted you to share them just in terms of like we've got a choose-your-own-adventure, Warriors (laughs) win, Warriors lose. You know, what happens in each one of these different cases in terms of decision-making tree, in terms of how they're they're covered the next year, in terms of, you know, kind of like the state of affairs in the next three years? Yeah, I mean, look, if, if they – there's a couple of different angles, right? I mean, if the Warriors win it, obviously, I mean, they want to win it and the fan base wants them to win it and all of that. If the Warriors win it, I think it's almost gravy the next couple of years. I mean, the belief will be – Kind of like what LeBron say, not five, not six, not seven. Like, like at that point, I mean, if you win this year, I think a lot of the conversation is going to be about this two timeline thing. And well, if Steph wasn't MVP regular season level going back to you know, this year, well, then you know, maybe he can just kind of get through the regular season and maybe Clay will be a little better and Draymond's still around and there's all these young players. What about Wiseman and Kaminga and Moses Moody, who was picked 14th, like if they win it, I think it's almost gravy. Like they, they pretty like they much don't do really anything in the yeah, offseason. Yeah, they, they run it. I think they run it back and they allow the young players to maybe be a, a bigger part of it. They still would have to pepper in some veterans, I think, with, with some playoff experience along the way. Pay Jordan Poole, ride it out with Wiggins, play Kaminga more, Wiseman. Like it, there's just a freedom, I think, that comes with 
winning it this year for the next year for them. If they don't win it, I think that's where it gets a little tricky because then the conversation sort of shifts to do you were this close within two games or one game, depending upon how it ends, of of winning the NBA championship and you couldn't get over the hump and Steph put up maybe a finals MVP performance even in losing, do you owe it to him and Clay and Draymond, but really do you owe it to him to do whatever it takes to, to get over the, the hump? And does that mean you look to trade a Kaminga or a Wiseman or something like that? Now, I don't think they want to do that as an organization, but and the veterans did go in last offseason and say, hey, we, we, would, we need veteran help if we're going to make a playoff run. And maybe you should consider making some kind of a trade. And the, and the front office and Joe Lacob, I think, at the head of that was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to see how far this group, you, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, how far that group can take you. But I do think it gets trickier if they don't win it. And the, and the question as far as... As the anthem begins here behind me, little little test anthem. Uh, the question then becomes, what do you have to do to get over that hump? So, and then we talked about media coverage too, and I think that's really interesting because it feels like some of the flaws that might have come with Memphis ended up having John Moran that maybe people would have identified or criticized or scrutinized and said, like, i.e. maybe Jordan Poole is a defensive liability, et cetera, against the bigger, stronger teams. The Bucks aren't going anywhere, right? You've got uh, Miami may or may not go anywhere, and, and obviously Boston's not going anywhere either. So how do you think the way that they'll be, they'll be covered and perceived uh, changes too with the 95 the game, the, the light years of the world, like Warriors, Twitter, etc. What's gravy if they win it? I mean, if, if they win it, no, literally no criticism the entire year. If they win it, there's no criticism. If they win it, it's it's top of the mountain. And hey, come at us, come at us, bro, come at us, sis. Like that really is what it. Hey, we're on top of the mountain. It's Joey Light Years. You can't stop us. Kaminga's the next Giannis. Uh, you know, Wiseman is going to be exactly everything they didn't have. He's he's Robert Williams uh, plus uh, Jaron Jackson, like combined into one, and that's what he's going to be. And <laughs> it just it yeah. It, you mean you, the delusions will increase yes. from where they already are? It will. It will be come at us. Hey, Boston, that was cute. Y- you couldn't get it done. Now we're better. That's annoying, though. Don't you think that's annoying? It can be. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, you, are you going to do that? I don't ever do that. Like, I, that's, that's why, we're do- that's why that, you're my talk. That, I, I don't ever do that. I, I love talking about the games. I love talking about the teams. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, you know, pat myself on the back, although I think I did. Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't know it was this. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't know it was this kind of, this kind of show. <laughs> Although it's you did, video. it's not on video. You did cuss a couple of times, so that's oh, no, okay. No, we can do that. Yeah, we can uh, okay. That. I got gotcha. you. So the video is only for us. Yep, exactly. It's just gotcha. for you to connect. I got okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, that I, I then I should I just should have just taken the jacket off then. I'm yeah, just... whatever you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> just get but, just get real Dell and so Sonia Curry with it. Just get real comfortable. <laughs> yeah, real comfortable. But no, it yeah. I don't I don't roll like that. I mean, you could you could make the case that the Warriors not winning it would make for more compelling more for a more compelling conversation moving forward. What do you think Adam Silver wants? I think that's interesting. I think Adam Silver likes having the Warriors at the top of the mountain, to be honest. Does he? I think he does. I think he likes everybody. I mean, the ratings would say he does, right? I mean, and look, the Celtics are part of that too, but I, I think he likes having them back at the top of the mountain and everybody sort of aspiring to, to be them. But in terms of, of conversation, you could make a case that them not winning it leads to juicier more conversation. Interesting, more interesting outcomes, too. Where'd you go? No, I'm here. Oh, more interesting outcomes, in my opinion, too. Do you think so? I, I think so. I think it could be. Excuse me. I need to take a sip here of this. Beverage. That's okay. We talked also uh, about fan bases, and I said this 
to you when we talked after game three. I said, you know, it's funny that the Warriors, you know, they faced Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers fan base for a million years. And then they faced Toronto for one year. Toronto's an, a nice place to play. Fine, passionate fan base. But they're civilized. Let's be honest. They're civilized folk. They're Canadians. And they're not... They're not messing around. I think there might have been one little interesting thing that happened with the fan uh, during that series, but nothing crazy. No, like, real scuttlebutt outside of the whole Drake thing that I got roasted for. No uh, F.U. Draymond. There was no yeah, F.U. Yeah. Draymond. There was no, there was no, yeah, there was no, like, oh, my God, I needed to take my Dubs jersey off when I left the arena. Like, th- do you do you think that this is the first, like, real deal fan base that the Warriors have faced uh, in the finals. Do you think that's like a fair fair uh, estimation? Well, we're only talking about three. I mean, yeah. we're talking, yeah, we're that's- talking about Boston, Toronto, and Cleveland. And look, the games in Cleveland were, I thought, tremendous atmospheres, yep. especially the two years where the Cavs had a chance. They didn't really right. have a chance in 17 or 18, but 15 yep. and 16 they did. So I think, I think that the Cavs crowds were good. Toronto, I was blown away. I'd always heard great things about Toronto, but yeah, it was more of a joyous yes. crowd. They were really happy that their team was in it. Yeah. And I think they knew, hey, we're playing the juggernauts that have been in this thing five years in a row. Like it's this not like is they were just happy to be like winning games there. And you know? Yeah, they yeah, no, and they had a lot of years where they couldn't quite get over the hump. So I think just being in the finals and having home court advantage and all of the things that went through that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To get to that point, I thought they were just really, really, really happy and loud, and it was awesome. I, I would put Toronto probably ahead of Cleveland in terms yep. of the, the overall atmosphere. But, yeah, Boston's on another level. I mean, that's a that's a town that's it's it's an edgier fan base. They take it seriously, all of their sports, whether it's the, the Red Sox or the Patriots or, or the Celtics. And, yeah, it's going to get a little salty maybe in terms of, of the language or – or the interaction if you're if you're wearing a, a Warriors jersey, and but, they're used to winning. Yeah, and they demand winning. I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, this is their twenty second finals, and I think they've lost what five? I think so, or four, five, whatever. That yeah. yeah. This is, so they twenty one, and they won seventeen. So seventeen and four. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. And they they're known for doing things. You know, all kinds of outlandish things throughout the course of time. If you watch Winning Time, uh, Norm Nixon talked about how insane the fans were and even the, the home cooking and the refs and all of that that noise. Uh, before we let you run. Raising the basket. Raising the basket. Raising the basket yeah. during warm-ups, maybe. Yeah, exactly. just, maybe. Just rough and tough stuff. Pooping in, in Bill Russell's bed in the hotel room. <laughs> Rats scurrying around the breezeway. Um, so we're far cry from that, but, uh, I want to pivot to just something really interesting that has happened, which Kenny Atkinson, uh, now the new head coach of the Charlotte Hornets as per, uh, Shams, this is the bomb. This is the sound of the Shams bomb. (laughs) So one, I want two things from you. One, what has Kenny done? putting his fingerprints on this organization this season because the number one thing that I think was missing last year and maybe the year before that was the the development side, right? And that's kind of what even Steve said was sort of missing and what they brought Kenny in to do. So from what you've covered and what you know, what has Kenny done for this this team this year that you can kind of say these these leaps are him? I think you hit on it. I, I think I think individual player development was a big part of that and the Warriors because they had so many young players they put a real emphasis on on player development as far as how does Jordan Poole make a jump maybe make two jumps how does that work Wiseman a part of it Kaminga this year as well how does he go from somebody that that 
can, you know, be a player. More anthem. Tony Lindsay. Tony Lindsay, everybody. Of, uh, Santana. Favorite here in the Bay. Uh, going round two. Round two for Tony Lindsay. This one wasn't great. But, yes. no, it was, it was excellent. I'm sure it'll be excellent at 6 o'clock here Pacific, too, when we, when we hear it for real. But uh, it, it, it was all of that. Like, how does Kaminga go from somebody that played for the G League you know, Ignite team and then gets drafted seven overall and become somebody that I think by year two, playable in the playoffs if need be, but by year two can be somebody that's a factor to maybe take somebody's spot moving forward. So also individual game preparation. The Warriors kind of went out of their way, at least at the beginning of the year, and said, we want to chase wins. None of this, like they want to win as much as possible to put themselves in position to where they... Steve Kerr regretted that comment he, he made last year. It was an awful look. It, it was an awful look, and I think he knew it. And I think Mike Brown defensively, some, some janky defenses in some... Like, they got far more game plan specific this year on a game-to-game -game basis in the regular season, especially early. And I think Kenny Atkinson was a big part of that. Taking a look at, at scouting other teams and, hey, what can we do not just to run our stuff on offense and just run our regular defense, but how can we make sure we do everything possible to win these games on these nights? I think it's why they got up to the 18-2, and 41-13. Then they had some injuries, and everything kind of went awry a little bit. They couldn't get everybody on the same page after Clay came back until the playoffs. But now in the playoffs, they've been able to do enough to put themselves to where now they're, they're two games away from a title. How does Kenny do it? He's just exceptionally maniacally organized from, from what I understand uh, of him. And I think, you know, he'll be a great hire for, for Charlotte that I think is you know, a couple of levels behind maybe where the, where the Warriors are at. But I think, you know, you look at, at LaMelo Ball and some of the talent that they have, there's some good young talent. And he developed Brooklyn to a point where they were, they were a team that was ready for a couple of stars to come in and maybe help them along the way, not, completely take it over and kick him to the curb while they were at it or while they were preparing for that you know, to that point where they were going to get there. Uh, but no, I, I, he's one of the most, I, I think prepared, organized, maybe even to the point of just maniacal dudes in the league. And so I, I think Charlotte found themselves a good one on that front, as far as trying to, you know, get out of the play in tournament and get into maybe the top six and, and then who knows from there. One of the number one things that I read about Kenny and when I talked to D'Lo when he was playing on the Nets that year is just the building of culture. And, like, the word culture was written, I don't know, man, like 30, 40, 50 times in one article about Kenny. Um, just from your time around the team, like, how does he, how does, how does he build culture? Um, and how do you think he can do that in Charlotte? I think accountability is a big part of it. I think with the Warriors, though, he and, and this will be interesting to see how far he takes it from his Warrior time, you know, going back to, to now coach Charlotte as a, as a head coach. But I think the Warriors culture is so ingrained that I, I think he probably had to fit more with what the Warriors do. But I think, you know, I'll use Mike Brown as an example. If Mike Brown coming in, after being a dude that was, you know, kind of viewed as overly stressed and maybe maybe a little obsessive compulsive and, and things like that, the Warriors taught him he needed to chill a little bit. And and he spent a number of years here and we'll see and he's got a little different task as he goes ninety miles down the road to Sacramento. But I, I think it's more what maybe Kenny learned from his time here and, and maybe that is that you want to have a great culture. But you can't necessarily be obsessed with the with the culture and having every particular part of it fit in the in the same box, if if that makes sense. So just a little bit more laid back, I think, is probably the way to go. Time in the bay, bruh. Yeah, no, I I uh, I think that's the, an interesting point because that was one of the main things that I remember hearing. There's a fourth time we're doing Tony, Tony Lindsay. <laughs> Tony Lindsay wasn't happy with how he sounded. Talk about maniacal and attention to detail. Tony Lindsay with a bunch of uh, national anthems here. Uh, I think the number one thing that I've heard 
in my time when I've kind of asked, well, like, why did Kevin Durant want Kenny gone? That was essentially what happened is, you know, you got to go. Him and Kyrie were like, Kyrie has to go. And one of the things that I heard was that they, he had a very strict way of training, protocol, getting guys ready. And that yep. worked for young guys and for stars who have been doing things a certain way. They've got a certain protocol that they have also designed that works for them. And so when those two things clashed, you know, then you've got issues. Do you think that that's something that we're going to see Kenny evolve from, even with a young team? I, I think he's probably going to have to. And that's a good reason. I think that's a big takeaway is you got to change a little bit here and there. I think with a, you got to find that balance. And look, he's got you know, LaMelo Ball. That's, he, it needs to work with LaMelo Ball. Yeah. There, because he's that good. At least it appears he's that good a couple of years into his career to where you want him to be the face of the Hornets, not for just the next two or three years, but you want him to be the face of the, the franchise for the next 10 plus years. And so, you know, Kenny's job is to build everything around him, but it's also his job to make sure that everything stays harmonious. So I, I think, yeah, being a little bit more laid back and understanding that not everything has to fit in the, to each particular box is probably a big part of what he would take away from, from a potential championship year with the Warriors. And getting those boys to play some defense because they are atrocious at that right no now. No doubt. Their paint defense was, I want to say, 30th in the league. So that'll be an interesting thing. Final thoughts before we let you. Oh, also really quickly, someone floated out the idea that um, we should all collectively start to go fund me uh, for four and a half million dollars to put um, thoughts on the hardwood for Jordan Poole to play better. Did you see that news story? Thoughts on that news? Thoughts on that? I, news story? I, I didn't. I hadn't seen that. I had <laughs> not seen that. Wait, <laughs> wait, run that back for me again. What what is going on here? All right, so there's a campaign out there on Twitter or some news outlet that was like, how much is too much to pay for Jordan Poole to be motivated to play better? And for courtside seats to get little baddies, ah. baddies on the on the courtside, all together it would cost, if they had that entire area you can buy, $4.5 million for the, the next two games for uh, Chase Center. Uh, I'm not sure why people think that that's what's going to make Jordan Poole play better. He played better in game four. And yeah, look, did. even 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 I had almost forgotten earlier we were talking about. No, he, he played pretty well in game four. It's, does it translate? Was it one game or does it yeah. translate to a couple of more games here in this? I'm, I'm not I'm not chipping in on that one, Trista. Sorry, I'm not. That's I'm okay. Out. I'm out. That one's against my principles. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, this even is for maybe you, the most, this is maybe the most bonkers, the most bonkers story uh, I've I've ever heard. Um, Warriors in what? What do you think is going to happen? Is it Warriors and you have to be honest now. Warriors in seven. Warriors. I think I think the Warriors are winning tonight in Game Five. Uh, I think Boston's going to hold serve, and then I think the Warriors eke out a Game Seven win back here on on Father's Day Sunday and and win the championship. Close game down the stretch. I think they win it five to seven points. Uh, at the end, sort of a maybe a similar finish to the finish in game four with a close game and then Boston unable to Boston missing a couple of shots and the Warriors hitting a couple of big ones to put them over the top. Good stuff. Good stuff. John Dickinson, my guy, we appreciate you. Um, for those who are joining us live, that is all the time that we have for the heat check. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode previewing game Siente. No, is it seis? Seis. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. Game You're already on the seven. You're already ready for game seven. <laughs> uh, and follow us on Heat Check as we go down the stretch. Are you going to Summer League, by the way? To be determined at this point. All right. Well, you? I see. I am. I'm going to be there the entire time. Oh, well, then I'm there. Time. Then I'm there then. Then yes. I'm there. I'm there the entire time. <laughs> I just made my decision then. <laughs> Do not forget to download, subscribe. Also, John, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, at JD John Dickinson on on Twitter, and same thing on Instagram, and you know the Odyssey app for all the the pre and post game shows as well. Ninety five seven the game uh, on Twitter as well. A lot of our videos and and audio files and links to everything are there. So yeah, that's that's it. One of the best dudes in the fucking business. One of the best dudes in the in the business. Follow us. We will see you soon, John. Yeah, I wish I was anytime. There. 
I wish I was not here, but you know what? I got other shows and other bills uh, and people to pay. Now, so. Boston's not that far from where you're at. I mean, I, I am I am going to be in Boston tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Love you, John. Thank you, guys. We'll see you guys next time.